Send us to the moon. Yeah, we are 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of I Am No Joke, your home for all things combat sports and the place where every armchair quarterback can feel a thin bronco. The views and opinions presented on the I Am No Joke channel belong solely to the person expressing them, no one else. If we say it, then we meant it. That being said, this show does contain adult themes, adult content, and general shit that you shouldn't be letting your kids intake. Be advised, viewer discretion is recommended. Proceed at your own risk. You've been warned. There we go. Boop. And we're live. So if you woke up late this morning, your alarm gave out a warning, you don't think you'll ever make it on time, take your multivitamin. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate ages, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like Eddie Bravo. Today, as like most days, we have got a glorious panel of fuckery afoot here, ready to crack down and get into all the latest punchy, kicky goodness in the combat sports world and bring it to you fine folks live. Uh, first and foremost, before we get into the shenaniganry, gentlemen, how the fuck are we doing this fine evening? Doing pretty good. How about you, brother? I'm here for it, albeit not much. It's the hangover from the hangover card. Right, and that's, that's yeah, that's exactly why I named it what I did. Uh, we've almost got a Crocodile Dundee situation, and they uh, last week said, uh, you call that a hangover. <laughs> Let me show you a hangover card, and then they gave us this. But uh, I'm still trying to figure out what the main event is this week. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we we will definitely get into a lot of what we've got to talk about this week. I, I absolutely promise you there's plenty for us to get into there for sure. Um, but as we like to do around here, before we get into this week's fun, I want to take a moment here and do a little bit of a recap of last weekend's crackdown. Uh, now, I don't normally do it this way, but I am going to do just a little bit of a hop back and forth here real quick. Um, in order to properly set up the recap for last week, I have to tap into just the first little piece of the news and recent events segment, and then we'll hop back and it will make more sense in just a second here. So um, first and foremost, the top piece of news and recent events that I'm going to tap dance our way through here um, before we even got to last Saturday's card, as if the MMA gods were giving a nice uh, not in my house uh, at the fight itself, the apparent new Tony and Khabib reared its ugly head in the form of Joe Lozon weighing in successfully, sitting down on a chair to put his shoes and socks back on and his fucking knee locked out. Not just like, oh, my knee's a little stiff. Like the UFC doctors came over and checked him out, had to try, had him get him up, try to walk him around for, I believe he said three hours. They had him walking around ice packs, heat pads, you know, fucking super hydrating with electrolyte fluids and whatnot. And the meanwhile, uh, like, I even, I even heard they gave him injections in the knee and shit. 
Yeah, they, they, they I guess they went so far as to go for a cortisone shot to see if it would try and, you know, get everything back into place. And they just could not fucking do it. So <laughs> inevitably, they ultimately called the fight off again. Um, but that's ironically not even the end of this fucking weird twist of a story that we've got because it starts with cowboy and his family going to a little taco joint that apparently has been since verified by multiple members of the mma media that ate there as well including cowboy's entire family who all ate there with him same table even no one else got sick so it was not the taco truck in question but there was a foodborne illness of some variety that took cowboy out of the first fight they postpone it, agree to keep it on, move it to last weekend's Austin card, and then Joe Lozon's knee fucks up, locks out, whatever the fuck you want to actually call it. The fight is off again. But wait, I believe it was two hours after they officially called the fight off. Joe's fucking knee unlocks, and he's walking around backstage. But by this point, the commission has already declared him medically unfit. The fight has been canceled. They can't undo. You can't put the genie back in the fucking lamp at this point. Too fucking little, too late. So they just put Cowboy in his fucking victory suit and sit him in his family cage side and tell Joe to fuck off. And that's not even the craziest part of it. That's just what I have to tell you to get back to the recap so that this weekend's shit makes sense. So hang on to your butts, folks. It's going to be a fun ride this evening. I promise you. That being said, bringing us back to Austin. Holy fucking shit. I will say this. When they use the euphemism, everything's bigger in the Lone Star State, sometimes they're not exaggerating. It really do be like that. Um, UFC Austin, we were actually talking about this before the show, broke the record for the most knockouts or knockout TKO stoppages on a single card in UFC history. And this coming on the heels of the new record for most stoppages period on a single card being set just two weeks ago from the craziness that we had there. So if that gets you any idea of what we're about to dive into folks, shit got a little crazy down in Texas last weekend. So we open the fight up and I, I do want to make a disclaimer here straight out. Uh, Golfy and I talked about this as well. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, I missed the first couple fights live because I life happened and shit was going on and I just didn't get to catch them live. I did get to go back and rewatch them. I do genuinely wish I would have seen that Phil Haas moment live, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but for as prepared as the Dawkins brothers made a point to emphasize that Kyle was for this fight. God damn if Delizze didn't come out and just say, hold my fucking beer. I'll see your fucking preparation and end it with fucking quick authority. Oh, um, Delizze is going to be a fucking problem pretty soon because they're going to either have to give him guys that are already a problem or they're going to have to start matching him with numbered folk. Uh, 
uh, in the rankings because he's tearing through everybody that's hanging just below that rank segment of the UFC. And Doc, as we've seen, look real good. So it's not like he just walked through another fucking can that they scraped off the fucking Tuesday Night Bullshit series. Like, we've seen Doc has legitimately look good. And with all the quote-unquote preparation the Dawkins brothers were supposedly putting in coming into this that puts us in a fucking Kevin Lee situation where does Roman Delize fit into all of this I don't know the answer but I'm very fucking curious to find out <laughs> um, but that'll bring us to what I kind of tipped a little bit ago, uh, round or excuse me, fight two on the card right out of the fucking gate. Um, first round, fairly competitive. Um, but round two, Philip Hawes decides that he's just fucking had enough and he just takes control. And as Duran Wynn himself later adjudicated, uh, he landed and I quote four million fucking elbows on my head and I had to wait for the damn referee to save my fucking life. <laughs> Props to Phil Hawes for just deciding that, you know what? No, we are fucking doing this and getting down to it. And then we found out the backstory after the fact that apparently Phil Hawes and DC were apparently potentially training partners at one point. And when it came down to the UFC making the first, because this is the third time that this fight had been proposed, the first time that they offered Hawes versus Wynn was right as Duran Wynn had moved to be DC's assistant coach back in Gilroy and DC, at which point politely retracted his offer to train with Philip Hawes and then went with Duran Wynn as they have obviously become training partners and fucking coaching partners and, you know, fucking very close associates. And in that moment when the adrenaline spiked and Phil Hawes got that fucking hand raising that W it bubbled over a little bit and he fucking gave it to DC and rightfully fucking so because to be fair DC in the past has also talked shit about Phil Hawes's style on record not just me poking fucking bear so you can go look up the fucking quotes DC is on record talking shit about Hawes on multiple occasions so I understand time and place tact and all that shit but on the same fucking token phil haas had every fucking right especially coming in off of a win on top of that a win off his boy that he chose over phil haas to make the statement that he did so weird scenario somewhat justified though in my opinion So as if that wasn't enough excitement already, uh, they didn't slow the fucking train down yet. Um, we, <laughs> we come out now um, and apparently Cody Stamen was like that second round stoppage is bullshit. Ain't nobody got time for that and comes out and just fucking gives Eddie Wineland the business. And, you know, for a guy who's been around as long as fucking Wineland did, we give him the benefit benefit of the doubt excuse me so often for good reason and unfortunately that's a double-edged sword because when it works out it does work out in their favor but the problem is when it doesn't work out you end up horizontal 
more often than not. And this is, I believe, the third time in four fights that Eddie has ended up horizontal. And that or not, that just isn't good for you. And Cody Stamen in exactly 59 seconds, counting the referee, jumping in to fucking save his life. Um, they call that a KOTKO for Cody Stamen and Eddie Wineland, to his credit, uh, lays his glove down in the octagon upon that uh, loss. So he, there has not been an official, I say with air quotes for those of you listening, uh, announcement yet, but Eddie also has basically taken intelligently, in my opinion, some time off of social media in this moment, uh, as I think he absolutely should. Coming off of a loss period, a KO loss as well, just even contemplating the glove thing aside, this is a good time to leave social media away and just go fucking heal physically, mentally, and just as a human being, you don't need Twitter right now. So when he's ready, I'm sure Eddie will make an official statement on it. I'm fairly confident it's going to be a confirmation that the gloves getting taken off and laid down before the UFC fucking cut to commercial on him. Um, I'm pretty sure Eddie will give us a, an update when he is ready to, and it will most likely be the confirmation that the glove lay down was real and he is going to hang him up. So definitely hat tip to uh, a fucking vet. Uh, bravo on the same fucking token to Cody Stamen, who a lot of folks for some reason keep trying to say is just a wrestler or is only a wrestler. How many times does Cody Stamen have to make a statement with his fucking hands before people will realize the wrestler can also box pretty fucking well? Um, Cody Stamen is another one of those dudes that they keep trying, it seems, to, to keep him down with, I won't say lesser opponents, but I, I don't think people that are quite on the same level as him, as was unfortunately demonstrated by Eddie here. So uh I understand there's they there's been some interesting losses in Cody's past, but they also tried to rush him when he first got in too. So clearly he's developing much more as a fighter than he was when they first tried to throw him to the wolves. Uh, I think it's time to realistically start seeing where this young man's potential is going to be able to take him. Now, that I will say will bring us to one of the only uh, non-stoppage slash decision fights on the entire card. Um, the Maria Oliveira versus Gloria, excuse me, Gloria De Paula fight. Uh, now, to be fair, very, very close back and forth battle between these two ladies. Uh, they did call it a split decision, understandably so. Was it the most exciting split decision in the world? No, not really. Um, it kind of belonged on the prelims and, you know, good for them. It's a fight. It happened. We all move on. <laughs> that being said, though, that brings us to the fight that we were talking about literally before the show this evening. Excuse me. Uh, Ricardo Ramos versus Danny Chavez. Oh, boy. So... Uh, I think it was actually closer to like a minute five in when it actually happened. Uh, Ricardo Ramos lines up very, very nicely. A fucking sneaky little fucking spinning back fist 
that just lands and shuts the fucking system off in Danny Chavez. Um, minute 12 is what they call the whole fight all said and done with referee savior. Um, but more than that, an interesting stat that I learned about that fight just this afternoon, uh, there have officially speaking been seven spinning back fist stoppages in the UFC. Ironically, we got the Wei Lee one and then this Ricardo Ramos one just fucking rapid fire. But that aside, seven spinning back fist stoppages in the UFC. This is Ricardo Ramos's second one. He's holding the majority stake on spinning back fist stoppages in the fucking UFC. That's a pretty good investment to hold, I would say. <laughs> oh, damn, son. Just fucking giving him the business. Um, that being said, though, one of the probably craziest, shocking moments, in my opinion, at least, of the entire evening, um, Jeremiah Wells and Court McGee. Minute 34 is what they call all it took. Uh, Jeremiah Wells lands one of the cleanest fucking counter lefts. Just, I mean, you couldn't have drawn a little fucking X and tied a string to Wells's hand and made it more goddamn perfect. Um, just drops Court McGee like a fucking bad habit. Uh, the second time in Court McGee's entire fighting career he has ever been stopped. The first when he was still a fucking amateur. Bravo to fucking Jeremiah Wells. That is one hell of an accomplishment to stack on your fucking resume. And handled fairly fucking well considering how it could have fucking gone in the moment I would say um damn though damn clean fucking left clean fucking left um and that rolls us to ironically enough the other decision fight of the prelim card uh, the other ladies fight, uh, Jasmine Jezdovicius versus Natalia Silva. Um, this, in my opinion, despite it being the other decision fight, was the better of the two ladies fights and the better of the two that went to decision, period, in my opinion. Um, Natalia Silva just is a fucking monster she came out just doing the goddamn thing in a fight that the vast majority of the quote-unquote professionals said jazz davicious should just be able to mma math walk through again proving why mma math while might look appealing doesn't mean a goddamn thing in the real world Two plus two might look like four on paper, but when you get in a ring, it equals right hook. So, you know, as they say, it ain't always the one you see that gets you. Sometimes it's the one that you just miss. And uh, Natalia landed quite a few of those. Props to her. Um, ironically, two of the only three fights on the entire card that did not receive. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, we'll get back to that. 
Um, but rolling into the main card, uh, due to the lows on Cerrone getting bumped, uh, obviously things had to be shifted around a little bit here. So opening the main card instead of being the premier prelim fight then becomes the Adrian Yanez versus Tony Kelly fight. Um, I, I will say a, I was a little torn going into this fight. Part of me wanted to see Adrian Yanez come out and just style on this motherfucker and knock him out in a good minute and a half, maybe two minutes is just make him look like an idiot, outclass him, and then knock him the fuck out. But there was a little piece of me in the back of my mind that was like, nah, drag this bitch to 1437 and then fucking choke him out, wear him out, exhaust him, beat the shit out of him, teach him a fucking lesson, and then whisper in his ear while you lock that fucking grip and go, who's a bitch now, bitch? But, you know, Adrian Yanez had different plans altogether. So, you know, um, I will say he definitely did spend the entirety of that fight making Tony Kelly look like an absolute fucking scrub. Um, And to make things even better for those of you who didn't catch it, uh, Tony Kelly was the only fighter on the entire card Saturday to miss weight. He missed by two and a half pounds. Uh, so not only did he automatically have to forfeit 20% of his purse to Adrian Yanez, which just was beautiful icing on the poetic cake for the whole situation. Uh, then Yanez came out, did in fact style on him fairly nicely, and then dropped that motherfucker, I think, three times when it was all said and done, because he got stanky-legged and fucking wobbled bambi-legged a couple of fucking times before it was finally all called said and done but he absolutely tony kelly absolutely justifiably got his fucking ass kicked and i don't remember the last time seeing somebody just absolutely fucking pummeled like that made me happier really yeah that piece of shit deserved it Fucking racist cocksucker. <laughs> yeah. Tony Kelly's one of those scumbags that makes all of MMA look just a little bit tarnished, even though it was just some dumb shit that he himself did. So to see the entire MMA world kind of immediately fucking recoil and fucking get behind Adrian Yanez 100% to make the statement, and he did. It, it warmed the conkles in my black a little heart a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Fuck Tony Kelly. I, would, I wouldn't be sad if he got fucking cut. I wouldn't be sad in the least. Bit, but I also wouldn't be sad if they just outmatched the shit out of him for the rest of his contract and let that happen to him three or four more times and then cut his ass once he's completely worthless and fucking beaten out as well. So, But I'm also kind of a vindictive asshole. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, that being said um, one of the other more surprising at least to me uh, fights of the evening not that I thought many or that I think rather many people assumed that this fight was going to go the distance either but Julian Marquez versus Gregory Rodriguez was quite literally a, a Roman candle fight um, as, as somebody who grew up in the Midwest and had plenty of those growing up, 
sometimes you just got to light a Roman candle and point it at a motherfucker and see who's got the balls to stand there and who runs like a bitch. Uh, that's exactly what these two gentlemen did. They stood face to fucking face, took a 12 shot, lit it and pointed it at each other's fucking mugs. The problem was neither one of them flinched. Um, they both, to their credit, landed some fucking bombs on each other. Uh, the problem being... Gregory Rodriguez was a little bit slicker and a little bit more precise and a little bit better timed, I think, is the, the best vernacular to use here uh, than Julian Marquez. Marquez is a tough son of a bitch. We know he hit, we know rather, he hits like a freight train. Um, unfortunately for him, though, uh, Rodriguez was just being an absolute fucking sniper and was not afraid to stand in the fucking phone booth with that ice cream cone shaped son of a bitch and gave him the fucking RoboCop business this weekend. Um, this is one of those situations where I don't think it really is going to diminish Marquez a whole hell of a lot, and I don't think it really should. But I also don't know if it's really going to get Rodriguez as much praise as I think it should because that was a hell of a fucking performance it, it genuinely was it's not an easy thing to do I don't think we've seen anyone put that kind of a punishment on Marquez since he's been in the UFC to say the very least um, so you know hats off to fucking Gregory Rodriguez Buff Obama came in and did fucking work man he he absolutely earned that fucking W this weekend for sure Cuban Mexico crisis really did have a crisis on his hands. That's for sure. He had a crisis on his fucking chin. Is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fucking red lights went off. The fucking clackers started fucking clacking. But unfortunately, somebody pulled the fucking plug on that one. <laughs> oh man, no, I, I, I like Julian Marquez. I still think he's got a whole lot of fucking potential ahead of him, but. Uh, I, I think it it looked to me like he came in and just kind of took Rodriguez a little too lightly because realistically speaking, if you think that a dude is going to come in with the power to potentially shut you the fuck down, generally speaking, you're a little more cautious in your approach or at least a little more uh, apprehensive and engaging in firefights so quick to start in a fucking fight when you've been out for, what was it, fucking, you know, almost a year now, you had fucking kicky punchy rona in the middle of all that shit that had you all kinds of fucked up and discombobulated and shit so you would think if you knew coming into this fight off of all of that that the dude you were up against had the chance to just shut you the fuck off you might be a little bit more apprehensive especially considering he's a fucking kansas city boy out of glory mma under james goddamn kraus we know Krause is an intelligent motherfucker, in my opinion, one of the best up-and-coming coaches in MMA, period. Gloria's got a hell of a fucking stable to be damn proud of, Marquez being one of those fucking ponies in specific. Um, I, I think it was a situation where Marquez just overlooked Rodriguez a little bit too much, unfortunately. So hopefully we see everybody come around. Marquez come around, get his shit together, get back in there. I think Rodriguez deserves a, a little bit higher up of a challenge at this point, and I'd like to see that as well. So we'll see what the UFC does there going forward. Um, sadly, <laughs> that'll bring us to the uh, 
third and final fight of the card that uh, went to decision uh, and did not end in some form of crazy fucking stoppage. Uh, Damir Ismagulov versus Guram Kudataladze. Um, we thought this one was going to be fucking close. To be fair, it was pretty goddamn close. It ended up going down to a split decision all the way down to the fucking wire. Um, a little bit questionable on the scores being turned in during the split decision, but again, we had both Chris Lee and Sal D'Amato judging uh, in Texas, so uh, we, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. When either one of those two are involved, you already know. When you've got both of them on a card, you got to look out. When you get both of them on a fight, as we had several times throughout the evening, you can count on there being some fucker. Um, some Christians in there. I ain't touched This was uh, to the credit of Mr. Ismagulov. A uh, hat tip in his direction. Great fought battle either way, in my opinion. That being said, the people's co-main event, as it were. Um, I will say I've seen this reported multiple different ways, and I have also seen the official report for it now as well. So uh, what I will say is Joaquin Buckley came out and beat the ever-loving shit out of Albert Duraev, and it was a beautiful fucking thing to watch um, to such a fucking degree that... I was wondering if they were going to genuinely stop the fight during the second round. I think it arguably could have been stopped during the second round at several different points. Um, but when the second round made it to the bell, ironically enough, um, they got both fighters off their stools, got ready to bring them back out and then brought the doctor in and looked at what was left of the meat that used to be Albert Duraev's eye and said, no fucking thank you. We'll tap out on this one. And they waved the fight off. Um, the UFC website as of right now is calling it a round two TKO doctor stoppage. The Texas athletic commission officially has it reported as a 10 second round three TKO stoppage, uh, not listed as a doctor because the Texas athletic commission does not have a way to report a fight technically being stopped between rounds. And it did make it to the end of the second round. So they basically auto inserted a fucking 10 second buffer into Joaquin Buckley's fight on the official record. That's so fucking stupid. Because they never rang the bell to start the third round. So if you anything, you make it at 459 of the second. Exactly. That's what I said. But the Texas Athletic Commission does not seem to agree with our line of thinking on this one. Because if the Texas, round never starts, you can't just magically add a round if it doesn't start. That's kind of like would, adding a sixth round and saying I was stopped in the sixth in a championship fight. No, that right. doesn't work that way, guys. It's you would kind think- of like Dividing zero by zero. You can't fucking do it. Yeah, no. And then Texas was like, hold my beer. And so um, 
I'm not sure what the UFC is officially going to consider it. Hopefully they do the right thing and tell Texas to shut the fuck up and fix it. But uh, either way, Joaquin Buckley just beat the fucking brakes off Albert Dorio to the extent that he couldn't physically compete for the third round and the fight was stopped. Go Buckley. Looked fucking spectacular doing so in my opinion. That was by far the best we've ever seen Buckley look. Like, he was technical. He was patient in what he was doing. I was going to say, he was so fucking calm. He wasn't rushing. We have seen him jump in the past and almost, like, put himself in trouble trying to get the fight going. He seemed very calm, very relaxed, letting the action come to him. It It was nice to see. It showed him a different side because it also wasn't him gassing out that we've seen before. It was him like maintaining his gas tank and really just letting the fight play out. Yeah, that's actually probably the best way it can be phrased. He was letting the fight play out instead of rushing it like we've seen him do before. I I agree. And it looked spectacular, man. If this trend is any indication, Joaquin Buckley is on a fucking jet path, man. I, I think, ironically enough, that early hiccup might have been exactly what he needed to put him on the right course because it seems like that chip has stayed right about here the entire fucking time properly so and he did the damn thing (laughs) um that'll bring us to the co-main event holy shit (sighs) um we knew we knew this was going to be a good one. Uh, this is one of those fights that you almost couldn't pay to disappoint, and it did not. Uh, Tim Means looked every fucking bit as hungry and angry as he always has been. Elbows were fucking flying and dangerous. Ironically enough, um, I will actually agree. Um, I think this might be where Kevin Holland should have been. I understand that he wanted to do that Kamzat thing and do 170, 185, 170, 185, but Kevin Holland himself said when he fights at 185, he gets to be lazy. He doesn't have to cut weight. He doesn't have to be disciplined, and it starts to reflect in the fight. When he has to make it to welterweight, he doesn't have to work that hard, but he has to work. He has to hold himself accountable. He's got to cut just the tiniest bit of weight, and that requires the focus and the dedication. And he said himself that makes him a better fighter. And I think that's either the second or third time we've seen him at welterweight now. And I I 100% agree. I think he looks more fucking focused. He definitely, definitely, definitely looks much skinnier at 170 than he did at 185. He has lost a good majority of the traps that he had bat-winged out when he was ballooned up to 185, but I don't think that's a bad thing because he looked like he was moving quicker. He looked like he was snappier in his responses, and it sure as fuck, at least according to Tim Means, seems like his grip might be a little tighter as a result of it because they call it officially a minute 28 in the second round when he got the submission victory over the Dirty Bird. That's not something many people have on their fucking resume to begin with. No. Calling it welterweight does. I think the only thing that steps that up for him, other than getting back to where he's having to focus, maintain weight, 
and be fucking on point with everything. It's the day before the fight, he's out playing fucking Superman again. Stopping fucking robberies in progress. Well, what the fuck, dude? The dude is honest, legitimately a fucking superhero. How? How is this possible all the fucking time? And then comes in there. (laughs) Then he comes in and look, Tim means credit where credit is due. He tried his damnedest. But Kevin Holland was so fucking on point that he made Tim Means look a little slow. He stanky-legged him once. And then when he managed to sink in that fucking Darth from hell. Or no, that was it was a fucking anaconda that he finished him with. Yeah, it was fucking just nasty. Like, watching him sink that in and how deep he got it so quickly, I'm like, yeah, Tim Means is fucked. There's no way out of that, because... That, yeah, no, and it, and he didn't wait long to fucking tap either. He knew right away. He was like, "No, no, this is bad." Dink, fuck you. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. Like Kevin Holland, I think welterweight is the right class for him. Don't. Yeah, he looks skinny compared to what we've seen him, but as far as class is concerned, I think that is the correct weight class. And we've seen him do some shit at fucking other weight classes at one eighty five and look fucking phenomenal. I mean, knocking people off knocking people out off of his fucking back good but here he looked so fucking on point and crisp with everything and then getting his technically his first fucking submission in the ufc right and i think the greatest thing was how's it feel to get your first submission he's like i can get a submission on anybody i have a fucking black belt everybody forgets that about kevin holland because they see him up striking and talking bullshit, you know. He likes, yeah, he likes to play, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. I think, at least for me, the thing that I like the most about this fucking spectacular fight between these two is that we got a glimpse of the old Kevin Holland because that's also how Tim Means fights. They were talking back and forth to each other for the whole of the fucking first round. And almost every time one of them landed something good, the other one would smile and nod at the other one. And like in response, like they were having a good time. Like you got to see those glimpses that we loved of the old school, big mouth, Kevin Holland and fucking Tim played right back off of it. Cause that's exactly how he fucking fights too. Like they were chattering and jabbering at each other. And it was fucking glorious to see from my opinion. It was, it was a good time had by all in that fight. Look, I, win lose a draw tim means fucking won some respect out of that fight because he did not fucking make it easy on kevin holland at all yeah no he made him earn every fucking bit of that shit for damn sure dirty bird ain't no fucking rollover (laughs) that was a fantastic co-main event it really was yeah i was very fucking happy about that um unfortunately uh, i was not nearly as happy about the main event um I will say this, Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett was absolutely a 25-minute fucking back-and-forth battle. I I 100% agree it was a back-and-forth battle. What I do not agree was two things. One, that it was close enough to be a split decision given in the favor of Josh Emmett. I I do believe it should be Cater for one I get it. There's a lot of fucking homers out there who are crying. But once again, I will defer back to the fucking rule set. 
damage over everything. Yes, head clash does in, does factor into that. I agree. I'm saying aside from that, just off the damage we saw Cater land with his striking, not to mention the numbers that back that up, I think Cater should have had that fight. So I don't agree with that. The other thing I will say with it being as close as it was, if they want to call it for Emmett, I can understand that. But my second problem comes in when Josh Emmett then gets on the microphone off of that performance, which honestly was lackluster for both of them. We were talking about this earlier. It was a lackluster performance for both of them. And then Josh Emmett gets on the mic and tells Dana White, I'm going to be sitting cage side in two weeks because I want to know who I'm fighting because I get the next title shot. Yeah, we actually we spoke about this earlier on their worst fucking nights. Either Max or Volk would beat the fucking brakes off either Calvin Cater or Josh Emmett that we saw Saturday night. I have zero doubt in my fucking mind. Yeah, those guys could both come in with the flu and whip his ass. Yeah, the defense that Emmett showed against Cater is to be It'd be over in two rounds. He wouldn't even make it to the five. He wouldn't even get right. to a decision. It'd be worse than, you know, Korean Zombie in the last fight he had against Volk. Right. Well, and that's, I think that's one of the things that I don't know. I can't say it, it bugged me. It irked me. It, it rubbed me the wrong way, maybe is the best way to phrase it, about this fight is that it almost seemed like Calvin Cater just took everything he had against G- Giga Chikadze, which was fucking spectacular, shut him the fuck down like no one has. And he threw that out the goddamn window and he went back to the fight with Max and he tried to Max Holloway, Josh Emmett. The striking style that he was using was not his style. It very much looked like he was literally trying to emulate Matt, what Max Holloway did to him. And it didn't really work. He still landed more and better shots, in my opinion. But it didn't work for him. I, I don't know. I, I was very displeased with the whole of the fight, in my opinion. You know, that's a good point. And look, just because Max Holloway worked you like that doesn't mean you can work somebody else like that because you're not Max Holloway. Calvin Cater, you do you. You're good at what you do. Don't try to do what Max does because you can't. Obviously, there's a reason why you got so outclassed by him because you can't do what he does. Only Max can do that. Oh, to be honest, that's probably part of the reason why he ended up with the L. It's because he didn't do him. There's a reason why Calvin Cater was, I will say still is one of those guys at the top of the division that people are going to have to work hard to get to. But only if he does himself, not trying to be somebody else or trying to show, oh, my striking's got better. I should be able to compete. No, dude, figure out a different way. You're a smart fighter. You've got a great fight IQ. But to be honest, in this fight, he lost some of that fight IQ, I think, because he wasn't doing what he was good at. That's what I'm saying. Tyson Chartier just had him looking fucking tuned up. 
in that fight against Giga Chikadze, literally the last time we saw him out, we got a great glimpse of what he's capable of, especially coming off the ass whooping that Max fucking laid down on him. After that, we got to see him put on such a fucking beautiful display against somebody that we know is as dangerous as Giga fucking Chikadze and shut that motherfucker down. But then when we get in here against a guy like Emmett, like we got no glimpses of it, any of that fucking Calvin we just saw. So we, I don't know. It was fucking weird to me. Um, but a, as if it needed confirmation, uh, we we talked about it last week going in. When we go to Texas, I say we metaphorically being the UFC. When the UFC goes to Texas, um, we can generally count on weird decisions slash rulings and even weirder medical suspensions well we got the medical suspensions list so uh, oh actually before we get into the medical suspensions list um bonuses um i'm a little split on this but i i think i'm happier than i'm not happy with how they're doing this uh this is two cards in a row now they decided that since they had so many goddamn finishes on this card Every single fighter that got a finish got a performance bonus, and the main event got fight of the night. I'm okay with it. I just i I hope that it's a trend that encourages the fights to to correspond with it, instead of them just making this the standards that all finishes get bonuses and the main event gets the fight of the night. I I, I want the the fighters to to react to the bonuses and not the opposite way around the, the bonuses just cater to the fighters if that makes sense but that being said um medical suspension so when it comes to texas there's two things um they're never standardized ever fucking ever for any fucking reason they're never standardized and they never 100 make sense so we've got one two, three, four, five categories here. So um, Roman Delize, Phil Hawes, Cody Stamen, Jeremiah Wells, uh, Gregory Rodriguez, and Kevin Holland. Seven-day medical suspension. Understandable. None of them really get, took much damage. But Gloria DePaula and Maria Oliveira, Ricardo Ramos, ironically, who didn't take much damage at all, Jasmine Judavicius, Natalia Silva, Demir Ismagulov, nine days medical suspension. Not seven, nine. But wait. Then we go back. We've got Tony Kelly and Adrian Yanez, both. 14 days but wait calvin cater 15 days just calvin cater 15 days but eddie wineland guram kutadladze and joaquin buckley excuse me joaquin buckley 30 days But Danny Chavez, oh no, excuse me, Danny Chavez and Court McGee, 
60 days. But wait, there's just one more category as if that wasn't weird enough. Kyle Dacus, Duran Wynn, Julian Marquez, Albert Duraev, Tim Means, and Josh Emmett are all suspended indefinitely in the state of Texas. What the fuck? <laughs> Texas never fails to disappoint in the fuckery. I, I will give them that credit. <laughs> that being said, let me jump through some news and recent events back here real quick. Um, first and foremost, like uh, TJ mentioned earlier, I don't know if we've got enough of a coverage on it. Uh, Kevin Holland is back on his Batman bullshit. Um, literally Friday before he fought Saturday, he chased down and stopped the perfume thief at the fucking mall in Austin, Texas. And again, when they tried to fucking interview him for the news, he said, no, nah, get out of here with that bullshit and left and refused to be fucking publicly credited for it. And then went and fought Saturday night and put on that fucking performance against Tim Means. Yeah, the only interview we got about that was from a guy who saw it happen. Yeah, who literally was there. And then uh, Kevin's coach confirmed it, that that was actually them and it, that it did happen. Back on his Batman bullshit. But anyways, um, so we talked about Lozon with the fucking leg situation. So Dana White has confirmed that that has got official. The uh, Tony Khabib curse on it that he's wiping his hands. He will not make that fucking fight again. He's done. He, he's not playing that tune a third fucking time. Uh, Lozon immediately tweeted that that's bullshit. You know how much Dana White lies. We'll see that fight booked again. But Dana White said, hold my Howler head whiskey and watch this and then up the fucking ante and took it one step further. We got news today, just this afternoon, that Bobby Green is officially out with, and I quote, undisclosed reasons, air quote for those of you listening, of the fight with Jim Miller for next weekend. But Cowboy Cerrone will step up in his place to take on Jim Miller for the rematch years in the making Miller versus Cerrone two, this time taking place at 170 because of the short notice stature of this fight. I don't have enough of a vernacular to say how much fuck. Yes. I want to pour onto this announcement. It did one credit to Cowboy and Jim Miller for both saying, yeah, you know, fuck it, let's do it. They've already been down this road at a much lighter yeah, weight. Literally. But, you know, fuck it, they're, they're both consummate professionals, and to be honest, I'm all about it. Am I bummed that they're just going to permanently scrap the Joe Lozon Cowboy fight? Yes. Because that is a fight I did want to see. But, then again, on the other side of this, we get a rematch that I'm excited to watch. Fucking telling you. I'm just saying there, there's fun to be had all around there. Yeah, it's it's a great fucking matchup, in my opinion. And the fact that they're doing it at 170 now, because to be fair, this would have been the third time in four weeks that Cowboy had to cut weight. And regardless of whose fault it was, 
that's just a lot to fucking ask of a dude to on top of that go fight for potentially 15 fucking minutes so i like that they're doing it 170 if you follow at any social media at all jim miller was already fucking ready to go he's doing fucking planks with his daughter and fucking ballet gear he's ready to fucking go like if they do it at 170 that just means he gets to have pizza and beer this week while he's training for the fucking fight so jim fucking miller's on point ready to rock as we all fucking knew he would be cowboy having trained for that fight that just got bumped and then scrapped is obviously going to be in pretty fucking good shape right now. He's just going to basically have to keep the engine tuned, you know, and not let it go completely to shit, which shouldn't be hard to do. Um, And this rivalry, I feel like not really much of a rivalry per se, but this rematch as it were uh, should, I feel be enough to help kind of kick cowboy up as it were without giving him the Connor effect. So uh, I think this should be one of those matchups that we get to see the good Cowboys show up and, and a hell of a fucking brawl because we all know damn well Miller's going to fucking bring it. And I, I don't think he's going to have quite the same impact mentally that Cowboy did, not that there's anything a fucking against Jim Miller. Obviously, I'm a huge fucking homer for him, but uh, no, I, I, I think it's going to be a great fucking matchup and I'm stoked to see it, even though it's only next fucking week. And I feel like they both really should have prepared more for each other, but hey, Let's fucking let the dice roll and see how it plays out. Um, Coming up, though, August 13th, we got the announcement this week officially confirming the UFC will be coming to Fight Night San Diego and headlining Fight Night San Diego August 13th will be none other than Dominic Cruz versus Marlon Chito Vera. I am fucking here for it and you know damn well they're gonna pack that fucking house out hopefully they don't drop the ball on the rest of that fucking card because that's a damn good main event in my opinion oh yeah and that one has title implications written all over it Uh, yeah title challenger is definitely the fucking title getting slapped on whoever comes out of that one looking great i believe yeah and to be honest either one of them i'm okay with Exactly. If, and, if Cruz can prove it, get it, brother. <laughs> I think the greatest thing I've seen out of that so far was when Dom was sitting on the desk and they were asking him about it. He goes, yeah, oh, I have nothing against Cheeto, but all of a sudden he fucking hates me. Yeah, yeah you're about to fight each other. Dom, you need to uh, change your mindset. And I don't know. Yeah, if no, Dom, saying- Dom said straight up, there's no like legitimate beef, quote unquote, rivalry. Like, I don't hate Cheeto. To my knowledge, he doesn't hate me. So I understand because we're about to fight. But it seems, I think Dominic said, it seems weird that now there's a rivalry. It's like, no, you signed a fight contract, dude. He hates you until the, the closing bell is over. Then you guys can shake hands again. Do you, yeah, it's you not know, MMA, bro. It's literally the same thing Joaquin Buckley said after fucking finishing that fight. Look, there was no bad blood before. There's bad blood once that cage closes. Now it's gone. It's just the fight. Nothing for love for you afterwards. Same concept. Dumb. Get with the fucking program. There, there's got to be some sort of hate in your heart to fucking go in there and whip another man's ass. And then right. just let it go when you're done. And I'm not saying hate, but at least have a disdain for him for a little while. It's... You're a prize fighter, for fuck's sake. Prize fighter. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I got a good kick out of that. I was like, oh, that plays so well. Dom, you, and I think it's because Dominic Cruz literally, he's a genuinely nice person. Like, For the whatever you part. see him do. provoked, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's really got to be provoked to get fucking Arnie. I mean, but 99 times out of 100, you see him. He's doing something nice for charity. You're fucking just being a decent human being. Whereas, as much as I hate to say it, not every fucking fighter that we watch and like is like that. Because there are some fighters I like, but they are not like that. They're just straight assholes. Sean Strickland being one of them. Love him as a fighter, but a straight fucking, not really a great human being. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's a real good example, actually. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I love Sean Strickland in the cage, and it seems like the second he gets out of the like, not even really when he gets out of the cage, like the second he's not actively in a fight, his fucking brain just like reverts into fucking autopilot mode. And I, uh... Dude, he's the epitome of a fucking caveman. Like, to, to be honest, that's that can do, but Dom is not that, Dominic Cruz is not that guy. He is literally a fucking nice person. Like, you watch anything he's doing, nice guy, all the fucking time. You rarely see him fucking pissed. Like, he's really got to be provoked. I think the only time there was ever fucking bad blood with him was back when he was fighting fucking in fuck Strike Force. That's what I was going to say, WEC days. Yeah, WEC fucking those Back days. The midget had the rivalry. Yeah, I think that was the only time. Is That was him fucking old. And to be fair, he was goaded into that. He didn't start that either. So, yeah, no, you're you're right. Because he, he was absolutely an asshole there. But he was deservedly so. You poke the fucking bear, you get the teeth. So, I get I get it, man. I'm just saying. They were, push, <laughs> they were pushed and pushed and pushed. So, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, no, dude, you gotta, you kind of gotta have a little disdain for somebody if you're gonna go fight him. And and I'm not saying to fucking hate him, but you know, you gotta know, hey, fuck you right now. When this is all over, yeah, we're cool, right? I think that's why we see a lot of those fights where there is a lot of animosity building up. And as soon as it's all done, you see him hugging it out, fucking bullshitting. Going yeah. out for beers afterwards. I was going to say, drink it afterwards. Yeah, it's not uncommon these days. <laughs> no. Well, come on, dude. Get with the program. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we did, though, get a fucking small smattering of announcements for the September 17th UFC card coming up here. Um, first one, Andre Touchy-Feely versus Lando Venata, which I think is a very interesting matchup, and I'm fucking here for. Um, Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini, which I think is actually a very good matchup as well, and I'm fucking here for. Uh, and then we got the confirmation of the main event for the September 17th card, which will be Corey Sanhagen versus Song Yadong, and I am fucking here for that as well uh sanhagen is not going to stay on the fucking sidelines getting right back into the mix while they sort out the bullshit up at the tippity top so i i like it man that's a hell of a fucking stack out to beef that september card up um so there are if you looked at the uh doodle doos down here with the what we're going to talk about shits uh for the show um i did mention that we are going to talk about bellator just a little bit here in a minute too Um, But before we get to that, I do want to mention that because Bellator is fighting tomorrow night, they did their weigh-ins 
today. So we already know how that card is potentially lined up to be. But before we got to the weigh-ins today, we got word yesterday at Bellator's Media Day, Gegard Mousasi, who fights tomorrow night against Johnny Eblen, showed up yesterday to Media Day at 209 pounds to weigh in successfully today at 185 on the nuts. Now, he did admit that there were some things going on in camp and things got pushed off a lot more than they normally like them to, but at the same time, he cut 24 pounds overnight and then has to try and put some of that back on to fight tomorrow. We'll talk about that a little bit, but that's something that I did want to mention while we're kicking down through the news here, because that's not just a small thing. That's not, in my opinion, that's a lot more significant than making weight three times in four weeks. Even that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um, we got word this week that a gentleman by the name of Joe Cavallero, who has not been around the fight world in a literal decade, who has not been involved in the fight game since an 18-year-old bushy-haired, semi-bald-headed Dana White came up to him as a bellhop and said, I'm going to be in the fight game someday. Well, Time has played funny games for both people. Joe Cavallero has been somewhat involved off to the sidelines, but not for some years now. Uh, well, he is officially getting back into the promotional game through the help of Dana and several other folks. He is now officially starting Combat FC1 that goes down tomorrow night on Fight Pass. Uh, obviously not going to have a whole lot of fighters that a whole lot of folks will recognize, but this is quite literally just his first step back, making the promotion happen, making the event go through, etc. So with all the pull that he has got behind him, I think it's safe to say that uh, Combat FC might be lining up to be an Eagle FC feeder organization type of competitor, which Again, competition breeds greatness for everyone. The more organizations we have competing, the more great fights we get, the more the cream rises to the fucking top. Feeder organizations have a place. That's why Khabib was able to make Eagle FC so quickly and so successfully start rolling. I'm genuinely hoping that from what it looks like, Combat FC is going to be a more U.S.-based version of that because Khabib intends to stay primarily overseas. Let them both go. Build the whole fucking roster up for everyone is what I say. Oh, yes. So we got a couple of interesting, just weird fucking announcements that I want to run through real quick here. Um, the first one, um, we'll talk a little bit more about the actual fight coming up here in a minute but Kat Singanu who is taking on Pam Sorensen tomorrow night on the Bellator card uh, made a preemptive announcement kind of unprovoked that seems a little bit weird to basically everybody she said that uh, she has no problem with fighting Cyborg for the belt next 
should she get around Pam Sorensen. But if she does, she's going to demand independent drug testing for the two of them. The, the biggest what the fuck are you talking about, I think, would be the fact that she still has to get past Pam Sorensen to even get herself into this theoretical conversation. And that unto itself is no easy task at this point, honestly. Mm-hmm. But further than that, Cyborg even confirmed there haven't been any discussions of, of a fight, let alone any discussions of drug testing, to which she ironically turned back around and Cyborg 10 aided Zingano on Twitter by pointing out that Kat Zingano went one in five under the USADA banner. Post USADA, now fighting outside of that testing, has now gone two and zero, oh, and then wants to call for independent drug testing of Cyborg, who just spent what six years, five years under USADA regulation with verified clean tests. Not that Cyborg has nothing to admonish on her fucking record, but at least at this point. Uh, we have a, a streak that we can confirm that while you were both clean under USADA, Katzengano fought like shit, where Cyborg really only had one problem. <laughs> and uh, her name was Amanda Nunez. <laughs> um, so I think it, the whole thing was just a little bit weird, but I, I, I almost feel like, if anything, this is going to do less good for Kat Zingano and more motivation for Pam Sorensen tomorrow night. And look, I got nothing against Kat Zingano, but that was fucking, that's a stupid statement to make at this point, I think. Oh, good God, yeah. Like, you literally put fucking counting chickens before the hatch. Like, that's a, the epitome of what you were doing there. And to top it off with that, who the fuck are you to call her out and think you're going to get a fucking title shot with her? Right. You got to get yourself and, there to be in a conversation. I, I have nothing against Kat Zingano. She's been around the game for a really long fucking time. She's one of the pioneers of fucking women's MMA. But you got to win fights to make fucking callouts like that. Apparently, that old school mentality of let me just fucking call somebody out to fight is still in her we haven't we haven't um gotten past that um that whole caveman issue of me fight so and so no dude that's not how that works in these days anymore sorry it used to be not anymore right i was gonna say it to be fair at one point it worked like that it did but those those days are done (laughs) um speaking of uh those days are done though uh we got another kind of weird and kind of a little out of left field called out this week. Um, Jorge Masvidal said that he wants to fight Conor McGregor at 170 pounds and not just any fight. He wants an independent purse. He wants to make it a fight at 170 pounds with the BMF belt up for grabs as well as both of them putting seven figures in an escrow account to be delivered to the winner, regardless of the UFC payout. Jorge Masvidal quite literally wants to put his money where his mouth is to fight Conor McGregor. And I get that he's using the BMF belt as kind of, you know, little fucking salt bay on top of the deal. But if he's willing 
to put seven figures of his own money and the belt on the line. That's the kind of crazy circusy bullshit that just might steal Connor's attention away from fighting Charles Oliveira for at this point, no belt at 155 pounds, which as much as we would like to see Connor versus Charles for the belt, that's not the fight that's being talked about or proposed right now, officially speaking at 55. It's just a potential interesting fight, not necessarily for the belt. BMF belt plus guaranteed millions and UFC payout for the Masvidal fight and no weight cut. It might, that might just be the play to reel himself in a crazy Irishman. I admire the shit out of that play. I, that's what I'm saying. You can't knock the attempt, man. Shooter's going to shoot. Take your shot. <laughs> um, but kind of on the opposite end of that, the other little piece of news that I got here, um, Carlos Sparza did an interview this week and basically played the opposite end of that, the uh, pump your brakes card. Um, when Wiley won and demolished Ioanni and Jacek and was confirmed that Dana White is going to give her the next title shot, uh, Carlos Sparza said that not only does she not think that Whaley deserves the title shot off of that fight against Ioana, but she thinks that the time frame of October and Abu Dhabi being on a pay-per-view as a potential co-main event isn't the right time frame for her, that she, as the champion, imposing her prerogative now, would much rather have someone like Marina Rodriguez somewhere towards later in December, whether it's a pay-per-view or not, isn't really concern of hers. So kind of like we all assumed going in, Carla herself basically confirmed that she's going to do everything in her fucking power to avoid Whaley like she can't fucking stand the sight of her she wants nothing to do with real problems in that division because it might not be a guaranteed fight but i think even she can recognize that she has way more significant of a chance at beating marina than she stands a prayer of surviving way lee yeah i definitely think she's trying to run away from that situation Whenever I heard about that this week, I'm just like, just shut up. And I hope the UFC kind of puts her in that situation. You don't have a choice. I mean, she she was the first initial champion, but after that fight that her and Rose had, like even if Rose had held on to the belt, UFC should still be telling Rose the same thing. And you don't have much of a choice. Rose wouldn't be able to either, yep. We're, we're not going with what you want on this one. We went with what you want on the last one, and look what the hell happened. Right. We're, go, we're going with what we want. We want to make some damn money this time. We're going to make a fight. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree 100 fucking percent, man. Uh, that, that was one of the dumbest things I think Carla could have said because the so, entire MMA world collectively. I, I, think, I, I think she'll be able to hold off maybe till the end of the year, maybe even the start of next year. You know, if she tries to hold off long, you know, they'll give that interim 
fight and stuff like that. But there's no running away from her getting her ass beat by Wei Lee. I mean, Wei Lee's going to get no. the title shot if, if you're still holding on to it. If you want to run away from it, I guess you just hand the belt over and let somebody else take Wei Lee on. Yeah. No, and that's that was the first thing that I thought of when when I saw Carlos said that. Literally, the first thought came to my mind was, "Well, it looks like it's going to be Marina versus Whaley for the interim while they sit Carla on the sidelines and ask her if she'd like to be stripped or released." Like, <laughs> you already know how this fucking avenue goes, Carla. You know better than most how this fucking plays out. So, I, I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm I'm really not that surprised. Um, last piece of news I've got here I will say I am a little bit surprised about more so than I was surprised about Carla making a statement like that um, literally just announced three hours ago right before we started the show the UFC has officially released Rogerio Bonterine from his contract They've decided they are no longer going to be in that business and have wished him the best of luck. He said he does intend to continue on and look through free agency for another organization. And he does intend to go up a weight class being as how this was off and all resulted from him being hospitalized due to a fucking weight cut. Um, He did say to his credit, he intends to seek free agency and go up a weight class permanently. But unfortunately for him, too fucking little, too late. Yeah, too fucking little, too fucking late to do it in the UFC. So, I, again, I wish I could say I was surprised, but when you get yourself fucking hospitalized for a weight cut, it's it's not a good look to say the very least. So, that being said, uh, that'll bring us to this weekend's upcoming punchy kicky. Um, there are, aside from the Combat FC1 card that was previously mentioned, three major cards taking place this weekend, and I do not include the PFL in them because fuck the PFL and everything they're involved with right now. Uh, what I will say is that first and foremost, kicking off tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. Eastern is Bellator 282 Musasi versus Eblin, and there are a couple of very interesting fights I want to run down real quick on that one. Uh, where did we go here? Uh, Saba Hamasi, former UFC flunky, now 16 and 10, looking to get his ass handed to him to potentially get kicked out of Bellator. I am eagerly going to potentially watch him get crushed and laugh. Um, the Pam Sorensen versus Kat Zingano fight that we mentioned earlier takes place tomorrow night on the prelims. And regardless of which one of them wins the fight, I do think will still be worth watching. Uh, Brent Primus versus Alexander Shabli, uh, I think is going to be a very interesting potential grappler, grappler, striker, striker, kind of which way does it tip out kind of matchup to watch again. Um, but then the main card, the Grand Prix roll through slash title defense. Um, <laughs> the main card is short. Most of it's going to be good. Enrique Barzola, like I've said time and time again, looking better than he ever did in the fucking UFC, taking on Magomed Magomedov, probably his toughest opponent in his career, in my opinion. Grappler versus grappler, but we've seen Enrique develop his hands since he left the UFC. Very interesting fight, important in that bantamweight Grand Prix. 
Also, the other half that belt, excuse me, bantamweight Grand Prix, Leandro Higo versus the mouth from the South himself, Danny Sabatello. Very, very slim chance Higo survives this, but if he does, this will be one of the biggest upsets in Bellator recent history, in my opinion. All indications point that that big mouth blonde motherfucker is going to ragdoll this kid and run full fucking speed into the finals of this Grand Prix. So I'm very interested to see how that plays out. That being said, you cannot dismiss that main event. Aside from it being Gegard Mousasi defending that 185-pound strap that he absolutely has stamped his fucking name in blood upon. But the fact that he's doing this after cutting 24 pounds overnight to successfully make weight and then come into this fucking fight undoubtedly is going to play some type of factor in this fight, whether it diminishes his chin from trying to rehydrate so quickly, or it diminishes his gas tank from being so fucking sucked down almost 30 fucking pounds worth overnight to make weight successfully. It's going to have some type of impact on that matchup. And with a belt on the line, that's a, old fucking strategy coming in against an undefeated dude who really wants that fucking strap himself. That being said, if Bellator isn't enough to tickle your fancy, if you need a little main line into the combat sports, I understand. Unfortunately, some folks can't get into it. I, unfortunately for you, can get into it. I will rage watch BKFC 26 tomorrow night and no fucks given. I want to see Brito get his fucking head spun around. I want to see Diaz get the fucking hair knocked off his goddamn head. I want to see Rawlings get sent back to being Rodriguez on OnlyFans. And I won't feel ashamed to fucking watch it out of spite. That being said, the rest of the card is pretty much fucking trash. Howard Davis is going to beat the dog shit out of Jimmy Rivera, and no one's really going to feel bad about it. And the rest of the card is pretty much all nobodies. But there is that mainline fix if you do need it there at the end wrapped up. That being said, we do have technically a UFC card this weekend. Um, But seeing it how it is, quite literally the definition of a hangover card of a hangover card after and before hangover cards, just all kinds of fucking bullshit mangled together as the commissioner of the commission in the Joe commission, I have made a commissionary decision here. And instead of talking about this bullshit riddled fight, I as commissioner have decided that we are going to hold a mock pit. Our young brother Slowbake has been here more than enough weeks that he has a fairly uh, acceptable knowledge of UFC and the punchy kickies we get up to around here. Golf, he knows how it goes. We're not going to throw him into the deep end and make it official and throw him to a full five rounder because that just wouldn't be fair. We'll save that for another day, maybe when there's a pay-per-view in the future. But for now, we're going to have a little mini pit, if you will, a mock pit. Not mosh pit, a mock pit. So for those of you who are lucky enough to be watching this live, you will know what I'm saying to be true by witnessing that beautiful, gory pit gif flashing across the screen to let you know that this is the time that we get competitive. 
That being said, not to go full force, we are going to take it just a little notch above where we are now. Three questions, gentlemen, not five this time around. And we're going to keep it pretty fucking simple here. One minute on the clock per answer. Same question to both of you. So you'll have equal shots. First question. This card is dog shit. We all know it. It doesn't have a whole lot to be excited about. But everybody gets one, like Spider-Man says. So I want to know for you, what is the one fight on this UFC card Saturday that redeems the rest of the bullshit you will have to slog through to watch? So being as how he is the guest... We will let the brother Christian go first here, sir. You have one minute. Please give us your best fight of Saturday's card. Oh man, that's a little bit difficult. But um, I mean, I, I even got my notes here with me. I looked into a lot of these fights. There's a couple of them, like a couple of names I'm excited about. But I guess the only actual fight. I could say I'm excited for it all just because the potential is the main event. You know, Armand Surogian versus Matush Gamma. You know, 18 and 2 for Surogian and 20 and 1 for Gamma. Both of them are in a position. They get a really nice win. They're, they're up in the top 10 of the lightweight division. Uh, both of them have been on a good streak since they got in the UFC. I think Sarukian, his only loss was his debut, right, against uh, Islam Makashev. So, yeah. I definitely am leaning more towards Sarukian with this fight, but um, also impressed with the past couple fights I've seen Gamrod in. So, I, I feel like this is going to be the most exciting fight on the card. It's really the only one that's tickling the pickle for me, you know. Good answer. Good answer. Golf tee, that'll bring it back to you, sir. On this dog shit of a UFC card that they are forcing us to fucking sit through, what one fight are you going to set your drink on the table for just a moment and pay the slightest bit of attention to in this fucking blur of a nightmare we have? Mine is going to be Carlos Olberg and Tafan Nchukwi but not for the reason that you would think. Not because I think the fight's going to be exciting, but because I want to see Carlos Oberg get his face fucking smashed in. Because, look, as much as I love that city kickboxing team, they keep trying to shove him down everybody's fucking throat like Dana White does with Contender Series motherfuckers. And to be honest, he gets fucking knocked out in his first outing. He barely pulls off a decision. It's time for him to trip over his dick again and go to sleep. And we know Nchukwi can fucking knock him out. Downside, Nchukwi's coming off a fucking loss, so it's time for him to turn it back around. And who better to do it then than the guy they just want to shove up everybody's fucking asshole? All the more reason to watch this fight. I am... I am absolutely inclined with two seconds to spare as well. What a, what a consummate professional he is. Uh, no, I, I am absolutely inclined to agree. Uh, I, as much as anybody, I have a track record, four years of fucking shows. I am absolutely guilty of being a homer for city kickboxing. And I, I bear no bones about it for the most part. Everything we have seen come out of that gym fighter wise has been fucking great. A top notch, badass motherfucker. Unfortunately, 
they also gave us Carlos Olberg, and he has seemed to be the quite literal flaw in the city kickboxing armor from what we've seen. Even fucking Quake had a bit of a rough patch there, got his shit back together, dialed it back in, and got right back on the right track, and he's cruising right along again. But for whatever reason, Olberg just cannot seem to stop stepping on his own dick. I, I absolutely – I do agree with you there as well. Uh both good answers, gentlemen. Both good answers. Uh, I Unfortunately, I do have to agree. Uh, and point for round one here is going to go to our guest, the brother Slobake here. Uh, I think the, the main event is, is the one. I, I do absolutely agree that uh, the Olberg fight is a good one to watch for the potential ass whooping that more than likely is going to take place. Um, but if there's one fight that I actually want to see play out, it, it probably will be that main event on this card. So with that being said, for round two, as we do in the real pit here on the practice round, if it will, uh, we're going to flip it to the opposite side of that coin. If you've got a card here where there is all of this bullshit there is one on here that people just will not shut the fuck up about, and it has no fucking reason getting two seconds worth of your fucking thought. There is always an overhyped fight on every card where the people in the quote-unquote MMA media at large just won't shut the fuck up about. And realistically, when you look at it, you're like, why? What? Fuck off. No. So we call those the overhyped fights. So golf tee, uh, I'd like you to go first here, uh, on this <laughs> plethora of choice filled cards here. Uh, give us your overhyped fight of the weekend, please, sir. Dude, that's without a shadow of a doubt goes to the main event, Neil Magny and Rachmanov. Look, all of the coverage that I have seen, it's not about Suruki and again, Rock. It's been Magny and Rachmanov. Why? Because they keep asking, how has Rachmanov gotten so good? Because we've only seen him against soup cans. And that is nothing against him at all. The dude has shown out. But it's all been soup cans. And to be honest, he's fighting Neil Magny. Who the fuck gives a fuck about Neil Magny at this point anymore? Except for Neil Magny, of course. Look, it's gotten way too much tension. And look. I am all for get those Uzbekistani fighters in here because there are some good ones out there. And Rakhmanov may be one of them, but we don't know yet. Stop overhyping the fuck out of him. I get it. He's 15 and 0, but we don't know. It's been soup cans up till now. Overhyped. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. Rachmanov, to his credit, has done everything they've asked of him, but realistically, the last time Neil Magny really made much of a splash was when we were getting tempted with the kneel-on-kneel violence like two years ago when it was still relevant and they first tempted us with it. But, yeah, it's it's tough to get out of bed and get excited about that one for damn sure. So that'll bring us back across the aisle here, as it were, with all of these just fucking head-scratching fucking name salads they've got thrown at us for the weekend. Uh, I would like you, sir, to pick one of these fights that they just won't stop talking about that for you seems like it's fucking pointless to even be on the card. Your overhyped pick, if you will, please. All right. Well, you know, I definitely agreed with what Golf T said. It was kind of tough that he got the first go of it because uh, 
definitely they've been trying to get rock mana you know, welcome to the pit out of this week but you know it, it, i do have another fight that they have been promoting pretty good this week that i feel like is overhyped umar Nurmagomedov against uh, nathan manis i feel like it could be a decent fight but it's you know it's could potentially be the the boring grapplers match that i feel out of they both have really good records and I, I even, you know, I posted it to my story on Instagram earlier today. You know, the if you don't know, now you know. Dana's video that he does, it was one of the video, the, the fights that he's hyping up, this Manis and Nurmagomedov fight, you know. Umar's undefeated. And I feel like it's kind of the same situation that Golf T was saying about Rachmanov. They've been throwing soup cans at Umar since he got in the UFC. Uh Nathan Manis is a better test, I feel, but I I don't feel like there's anything to really get excited for with this fight, even though they both have decent records. Uh, I don't feel like we're going to see a good striking match. We're not going to get a, a war, you know, and we might get to see some decent grappling if there is some back and forth, but just, there's not any excitement for me, even though I'm not a casual, like, for me as a fan, I do appreciate some good technical aspect and some good grappling. I, it's not like it's boring for me, especially when I'm sitting back, taking a couple dabs and having some beers. Any fight's good, you know, but there's not much to me that's getting me excited other than the name. You know, Umar, you know, he's he's Habib's family and he's undefeated and he's in the Bantamweight division. So that division's stacked. So, you know, like, it's it's starting to get a test, but he still needs a better test. So there's not much to get excited about, but definitely an overhyped fight, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, I actually was listening to uh, fucking Luke Thomas this afternoon on his fucking live talk. And one of the things that he fucking gloss poetic over is the potential for the the fucking nate manis and umar Nurmagomedov fight to be something of like a show stealer that people just don't seem to understand and i'm like luke go back and watch tape on both of them again and then tell me that because no no that does not have any kind of potential to be a show stealer yes to be fair any fight has the potential to be crazy but the kind of fucking show stealer they were trying to hype it up to be today no, I, I, I don't think so. Um, so yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you there. hundred um, percent point for round two, though. I am going to give to golf tee because they, in putting this fucking, in putting it in the co-main event, they almost force everyone to pay more attention to it than it deserves. At least with the, the Umar fight being in the middle of the card, they can kind of be like, well, see, we put him on the main, so we're promoting him. But, you know, you put a guy on the fucking co-main, he ends up on the goddamn poster, so people can't fucking ignore it. So we are going to give that point to Galtzi. So that means for folks who are fans of the pit, you will do your math real quick and realize that means we are all tied up and we have to bring it to a sudden death round. Now, as we do around here, Round three in this situation or our sudden death round generally does not have anything pertaining to do with the card that we are talking about this weekend. So, gentlemen, 
my question for you for the round three winner take all point decider in this the year of our lord 2022 what is the biggest potential fight for conor mcgregor to return to if he makes it in the usada pool by the end of this week because if conor mcgregor isn't in usada being tested at least once before next week he is not eligible to take any fight in the year 2022 so if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt here if conor can get up and get motivated to go get a test before the end of this week and gets himself in that usada pool what is the best potential matchup because it will be at the end of the year so we'll call it our christmas gift to ourselves what will the final pay-per-view of the year hold in the conor mcgregor versus insert name here matchup hole golf tee as our still current reigning champion i believe uh, i will give you first crack at this one here and give our guest a moment to ponder on this since you are more familiar with going first on weird fucking questions like that so golf tee what's our christmas gift going to be connor versus bleh well you want to know my honest opinion it's not going to be a fighter it's going to be him fighting off his coke dealer so that way he can fucking get off that so he can make it into the usada pool but Okay, now beyond that, let's say he let's say he does get off that fucking pony ride that he's on right now, and gets into it. There's a there's a couple fucking heavy options there. The Charles Oliveira one is no longer it. There's no title on the line that does not do it. Right now, with we can say the Masvidal thing is up there because that's going to change a lot of heads and there's a lot of money on the table for him. However. I'm going to go completely left field here. I'm going to go with it's one other big talker in the division. Michael fucking Chandler. <laughs> sell a fight just as good as fucking Conor McGregor will. That's a big fucking payday. Like, it could outdo what fucking Masvidal is fucking talking. Easy. Just because of the way they could sell it. But to be honest, he's got to fight off his coke dealer first. That's... That's be, and because the dude, look, if you watch his social medias right now, he is not ready for a fight. He, don't get me wrong, he's showing training videos. Yeah, he's training, but he's more worried about golfing, selling his new beer. Um, like there's all the Lambo yacht. Yeah, there's a, there's a plethora of shit that he's doing that is not fight related, and that's not getting into the USADA pool. So to be honest. I'm going left field here, and I will say Michael Chandler because I think he will sell the fight just as good because that dude is good on the fucking mic, and so is fucking Connor. That's a big fucking payday ticket. Now, is it the fight everybody's going to want to see? No. But is it money? Yeah. So in UFC's eyes, that could definitely make it. But uh, You're not going to see an Nate Diaz. You're not going to see fucking... You're not going to see him with Masvidal, I don't think. And you're sure as shit... Not going to get another Dustin Poirier fight. No, I agree. Very, very good answer. Very good answer. Definitely, especially with fucking Chandler cutting that fucking promo after the fucking Tony shit. 
if they can get him in the pool, that's definitely a potential fucking red panty night. I can see that for sure. So that'll bring us back to you, sir. Should we get lucky enough that the MMA gods will grace us with Connor getting his fucking ass off the yacht and getting into the USADA pool before the end of this week? Everything lines up, I's dotted, T's crossed, the final pay-per-view of the year, December, whatever the fuck it happens to be. We close it out with Conor McGregor versus who? All right, so I'll be honest, just like golf team, I damn sure don't think we'll see him this year, right? But since we're speaking in hypothetical, the golf team went out of left field, I'm going to go to right field. You know, I damn sure agree with the Michael Chandler aspect. That is going to be a big, huge fight. Um, I don't see the Oliveira fight, even though Connor would want to be in a title fight. I don't see that being as big of a draw as even the Michael Chandler fight. Because Oliveira, it's not even about him not being able to speak English. I don't think that would sell as much. But Nate Diaz, they still haven't given Nate a fight as much as he's given them trouble. That would be the biggest money fight. Getting that trilogy is what fans have wanted for years since they had the second fight. For anybody to think that Nate Diaz wouldn't still put on a good fight, and Connor hasn't really had that many good fights in the past few years any damn ways, it would literally just be that, the USC making money. And what a hell of a way to end the year. You're right. You're going to – you know Nate's leaving. So – finish it off give him a tough fight you know connor's probably gonna whoop his ass i would think anyways the way he's been training he's huge he's fucking jacked but yeah you got to get off the coke he's got to actually get in usada make it happen but that's how i would go i feel like the trilogy with nate would be the biggest fight it's just what fans maybe not necessarily us three but it's what you've heard over the past handful of years people have been craving the most even Dane has talked about it a lot, seeing how he'd like to make the fight happen. They haven't been able to make it happen. The fact that they still haven't gotten Nate a fight. If Connor was going to come back this year, that's what I would think. End of the year, get that trilogy. Be the best way to finish off Nate's career, in all honesty. Instead of giving him Hamzat and getting his ass beat by Hamzat, and just sitting, giving him his walking papers after the fact, yeah. I'm going to go right. That's that's a damn good answer. Uh, If if we're given the benefit of the doubt here and we're going to put it together, Nate Diaz wrapping out his contract with UFC for the McGregor trilogy for Christmas would be a hell of a fucking card. That would sell 9 million fucking pay-per-views for damn sure. Um, I will say, uh, Honorable mention for my money here, just because we're saying benefit of the doubt here. Uh, and I, I'm a little surprised, honestly, that neither one of you mentioned it here. Um, if all things are equal and we're playing the Conor McGregor game and we want a Christmas big panty night that really means something, I personally would have said Kamaru Usman. Because that makes him the first triple champ ever and it solidifies any doubt at 170 and realistically he might not have the wrestling but i think connor striking at 170 would be a real problem for marty from nebraska the only reason i didn't go kamaru is just we're thinking all hypothetical in the situation (laughs) but he's literally fighting at the end of august and as much as connor wants that i think that's the fight connor wants the most he's been saying yeah 
Kamaru Usman, I don't think would entertain it worth a damn. I don't. I don't either. Yeah. yeah no, so, I don't either. That's what I said. We're, we're going to, all optimistic. August twentieth <laughs> fight Leon Edwards, which I think Leon will make it a little bit of a tough fight, even though I think Kamaru's going to get it. Yeah, I don't see Kamaru then. What three months after the fact? Right. Three and a half months after the fact. Yeah, I'm going to go fight <laughs> Connor. It'd be a hell of a big money fight. It, that might t- entice him into doing it. But well, that's what I'm saying. That, that would be. Thing. They swayed me away from saying money at that Kamaru. point. Yeah. And even with that, realistically, like we're not hypothetically, realistically, that's probably the most likely fight that would happen because Dana knows what kind of payday that would be at the possibility of Connor becoming a three weight champion. There's only way. Yeah, either way it goes. Either Kamaru, quote unquote, stops Connor McGregor's meteoric rise or Connor becomes the first three weight champion. Either way it goes, it sells. Yeah. And, And to be honest, there's only been a handful of fighters that have fought in the UFC at three different fucking weight classes and done it successfully. And one of the last ones to do it successfully was BJ Penn. And that was fucking a long time ago. So, I mean, in the new age of MMA where we're at, it's like, it makes more sense. But if we're shooting theoretically, man, we got to blow our loads on stupid shit that's probably not going to (laughs) happen. Right. Right. So that being said here, um, we are going to dot the I's. We are going to cross the T's. We'll add up all the mass here real quick. Um, For this practice round of the pit, we are going to give round three and the victory to Slopey, to Brother Christian here. Um, Fuck Mike Chandler. Uh, uh, The fact that it A would be the Diaz trilogy and B the finality of Diaz's run in the UFC, regardless, win, lose, or draw. That's the final fight on his contract. Plus, it's Connor versus Nate shit talking for Christmas. I mean, that's the gift that just keeps on giving, man. Balloon animals with the left hand, gang signs with the right. Like, think about that with a fucking holiday theme. Like, oh, it's just it would sell itself. All the pay-per-view monies just fucking start printing. I, I get it. So uh, congratulations, sir. The uh, the victory is yours this fine evening. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that is all we've got for this particular episode of the podcast. Thank you, first and foremost, for tuning in, whether you are catching us live on YouTube.com slash I'm No Joe every Thursday night, 9.30 p.m.-ish Central Time, or you're catching this in the audio format a week later over on Anchor.fm slash I'm No Joe your podcast consumption platform of choice if you are interested in interacting with any of us on the show the links down in the doobly-doo are there for everyone all of the social medias everything is down there if you would like to support the show what we do around here and all of that good stuff first and foremost whatever platform you're consuming this on make sure you are subscribed and your notifications are turned on so you don't miss an episode of the show that being said if you want to support further than that patreon.com slash I'm no Joe is the best way to do so for as little as a dollar a month. You get your name added to the thank you screen at the end of the show and you get access to behind the scenes unaired and literally unairable bullshit that we got up to that I just cannot show the general public. I had to pay wallet. So for a buck a month, you can get access to some crazy shit and you help us do what we do. 
if you appreciate that, make sure you're subscribed and your notifications are turned on. Give us the thumbs up. We really do appreciate it. On the other hand, if you don't like what we do around here, first and foremost, why the fuck are you still here this deep into a podcast you don't enjoy? Give us a thumbs down and fuck off. We won't even dispute it. That being said, that's all we've got for this particular episode. So remember, boys and girls, until next time, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything unless it's sensible gun laws in the States. Good job.